Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, and I am joined by Will Schroeder, my partner and CEO of Startups.com. Will, we're going to talk about something interesting today, uh, something you and I have talked about a ton uh, personally, um, and we've touched on a couple times, I think, throughout the course of the podcast, but we're going to go straight at it today. And that's talking about quality of life, right? And why this is such an afterthought amongst startups and startup founders. Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, for the longest time, I think all of us have looked at compensation as the straight metric. You know, we go to a startup, we get stock options, we get cash in some cases, etc. And that needs to somehow someday translate into what will be this quality of life. But we kind of overlook along the way that we should have some quality of life along the way. <laughs> Years ago, when my wife and I had moved to San Francisco, we were living uh, right in Market Street, and we were sandwiched, our building was sandwiched between Uber, Twitter, and Square. And our building was set essentially like the the dorm room <laughs> for all of these <laughs> companies. And so, which would simultaneously made us the poorest and oldest people in the, <laughs> in the building. Fantastic. Right, yeah, yeah. But we ended up uh, meeting this one woman within our first year living there. And uh, our daughter, Summer, was really young at the time. And she said, hey, you know, I would love to babysit for your kid if, if you ever you know needed somebody. And she was wonderful. And turns out she was an operations manager at Uber. You know, their headquarters was literally right next to us. And, you know, she was wonderful, super smart. Uber was at its prime at that time. It was just on such an upswing. And I asked her, I said, so what's quality of life for you like right now at Uber? And she looked at me like I had two heads. Like, <laughs> what a stupid question. <laughs> what do you mean quality right. of life? I work at Uber, right? Uh-huh. And, and essentially, she worked every waking hour. And I always got the sense that when she said I wanted to babysit your daughter, it was an excuse to stop working. <laughs> right. To, to go That's right. pretty funny. Yeah. But it was really interesting that at this hyper successful company, at its peak, that quality of life amongst the people that worked there wasn't really a consideration. Now, this is, the, yeah. to be fair, yeah. this is a survey of one. Right. But to be fair, we also know lots of other people that worked at pretty high level jobs at Uber in amongst many companies, not picking on Uber, by the way. But here's a company that could afford infinite quality of life. Right. Yeah. And yet it extracts it instead. It blew my mind. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that was company philosophy at that time. Right. They were just growth, 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 fundraising round after fundraising round and just trying to squeeze every bit they could for future value. And it's often easier to see that illustrated when we talk about it at the company level, right? Because you say, oh, well, you know, they, you know, they, they had investment money, you know, they're trying to train to 10x the company. They need to show returns to the investors. They need to be able to, you know, justify the next round. They're trying to grow. It's an arms race between them and Lyft and all the other ride sharing and so on and so forth. And I think it's easier for us to look at that and go, well, yeah, okay, we kind of get it. I think it's a lot harder for people to see that justification at the personal level. Right. But it very much exists there. But I would argue that where you can somewhat justify that at the company level by saying, hey, you know, we're increasing shareholder value. Very rarely does that actually pan out when we do this to ourselves personally. I think we've said this before, but it's my opinion that you don't earn interest on life and happiness deferred. Right. This isn't like, oh, I'll put it into a savings account and it'll be that much more happy later. That's just not the way it works happiness being such a fleeting thing anyways. And, and, you know, what makes us happy continues to shift that you might as well try to be 
happy and have some quality of life along the way. So yeah, and that's, it's a perfect illustration. Well, um, and yeah, I was thinking the same thing like this. Here's somebody who's already talking about no quality of life. And then what do they want to do with their free time? Babysit. It calls into question, you know, how deep that mentality had sunk into the people that worked there even. And that's probably an entirely different podcast episode where we dig into, you know, the things that we do in leadership can dramatically affect the psyche of the people who work for us, right? But here's this young lady who already complained about having no quality of life, and then she's still trying to fill her free time with what amounts to more work. Now, Summer's a cool kid, so, you know, maybe she was just having a lot of fun with her. And yet, I still have to wonder. I mean, what's interesting to me, and, and I've grown to learn this over time, is that money is a means to an end. But if you don't have that end well identified, or it's costing you the very quality of life to get there, then sort of what's the point? But but let me yeah. take that out further. Even if you don't believe that, or, or if you're not down with that, I, I get it. Okay, you can say, hey, well, money enables and money does this does these things that are worth sacrificing for, and there's some truth to that. However, as founders of a business, as folks that employ lots of other people, if we don't take quality of life seriously, what does that mean for the future of all the people that work with us or for us, right? In oh, other yeah. words, if I talk to another startup CEO and I say, what's the quality of life like at your company? Here's what I'll probably get. I'll probably get some reference to cash compensation. People yep. are really well paid. And by the we way, that does matter. market rate, right? It sure, does. sure. And it does matter because the other side of it, when you're not paying people properly is a huge issue. But then they'll say things like, well, we've got free meals, we've got unlimited vacation, and they'll start kind of like going through the company's brochure of, of perks. And I got to tell you, we've tested a lot of those. We've also worked with a lot of other companies to see how their benefits have worked for them. And I've got to tell you, most of it's useless right? Most yeah. of it's useless if you don't truly understand the full picture of the employee of what's actually important to them. And if you really had to distill it down to one category that's the most overlooked and abused and probably the easiest to fix, it's time. All our folks really want is some time. They want some time to spend with their kids. They want some time to spend with their loved ones. They want some time to go out on a hike, do anything right do nothing <laughs> do nothing <laughs> right. do nothing sit and watch netflix yeah. yeah and it's the one thing that is free so to speak you know we don't have to literally write a check to give it and yet typically as within startups as employers we tend to do a pretty crappy job with it and i gotta tell you i think ryan i think it's worth us talking a little bit about our journey kind of what we've gone through at startups, probably some of the personal discoveries we've made with ourselves, but really walk some folks through the night and day difference between what happens when you take time away from your employees and what happens when you give it back to them in ways you probably wouldn't even think, right? Ryan, I'd be curious your thoughts here. Where do you think we made the transition at startups You know, over the past eight plus years where we started to kind of give time back or change our view of how compensation was more than just uh, cash. Oh man. Yeah. I think that was, uh, you know, I don't think there was necessarily a turning point that I could point to and say like, this was the moment it happened. It felt more like a, a hundred little things. There were certainly some bigger ones where I think what we realized first was not the, not the benefit in giving time back, but the, the cost of taking time away for better in this case, 
I don't think we were ever over the top in terms of driving people to work long hours, doing anything like that. We did it to ourselves. And we certainly weren't always as good as we are now about making sure that culturally the company understood that that wasn't an expectation of the rest of them. But certainly within leadership, we, there, were, there were times where we were pushing really hard. And, and we've talked about this in past episodes, but you know, we went through mental challenges around that. We went through physical challenges around that. And we saw some fairly severe costs. And they were all these little warning signs. It was time to pump the brakes a little bit. And to really start to think about what those additional investments in time we're actually buying us, right? To your point about, you know, compensation and saying, you know, more money is better, but if you don't really have a plan for how you're going to invest that, then just saying the answer to money is more money is a fallacy, right? If you don't have a, a clear picture of what you want to do with it. And so I, I think time is under a similar constraint in that if you're not crystal clear on the outcomes you're trying to drive. And you're just saying, well, if I just put more effort in, if I just put more time on the field, better things are going to happen. Not necessarily number one. And the, the one thing that I can say with some certainty is there is a breaking point at which you've just spent too much time. And we talked about this before as well, right? Now you're quite militant about your, your scheduling and you know, kind of your, your golden periods throughout the day where you know you're your most creative or your most productive um, and you do a great job of defending those. And with good reason, because that's a time when you're really productive. You know, you're also not worried about trying to work at eight o'clock at night because you know you need to wind down and be ready for bed within an hour, hour and a half. Right. And so, you know, but it takes time to learn those things. So I, I think that we individually learned some of the, the dangers and the hard limits around investing too much time. And then we started to make decisions that we felt like would ease that a bit and provide, you know, benefit to, to people across the company. And we've always been good about understanding at least one aspect of this, and that's family. Right. Um, we've said from the beginning that, you know, we're, we're a very family-friendly company. We understand that things come up that you will need to take time, and, and we've been generous and, and very fair about, you know, how we've treated that. And we've tried to be good about making sure that we socialize that as well and not just say it's okay to do it, but to actually reward people and applaud them for taking that time to be with family, whether that's, you know, uh, you need to stay home because of a sick kid or you got to leave an hour early because of a soccer match or whatever. It's not just, oh, that's okay. But then everybody looks at you sideways. It's that's okay. And please go do it. And, oh, hey, we're really glad you did that. That's great. And so I think we started to make little decisions like that. And then, you know, one of the bigger turning points that we can point to was when we instituted the work from home policy, which is, are we at four and a half years on that now, I think? It's been a yeah. long time. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, we were preparing for this entire coronavirus shutdown <laughs> years ahead of time. <laughs> that's right. We've been drilling for this moment yeah, for years. Sadly. But that started small, right? We started small with that. We started with just work from home Wednesdays. And the intention was that it was just going to be like a, an end of summer experiment for a month. I think we said, we'll, we'll try this for August. Um, yeah, changing. It did, right? It did. And not just for us, right? And it was very quickly applauded and appreciated by the entire team. And proved out a lot of wonderful things, which is that, you know, productivity didn't drop off. And, and okay, we weren't saying don't work and just go home, right? So this wasn't like we completely handed them the time back. But we handed them their commute times back. We handed them, you know, all the office distraction time back. They got to focus on their work, get more done. Um, you know, we had a lot of people come back to us and tell us, I'm actually more productive. I feel like I'm, I'm having, you know, a better use of my time. Uh, but I want to get off on a tangent around how they're spending their time. This is, we're talking about quality of life. And we certainly did start to hear that, you know, just that Wednesday alone, just not having to get up and come into an office one day a week, um, increase people's quality of life, increase their happiness. Well, um, well let's, let's distill that more though, Ryan. Like what people were really saying 
implicitly was I want more time to myself. I want yep. more time to maybe get my laundry done, right? <laughs> or be able to see my kid. Um, Elliot would always talk about making, you know, daddy eggs for his kids in the morning, yeah. right? What we're really talking about with all of this compensation is having those moments and enabling those experiences, which when they're taken away from you for so long, when for so much of your career, you've never been able to have that experience, when you get it, it feels like a massive reward. What's ironic is that most of our staff, you know, a lot of them, this is their first job. And they'll have only known this freedom and flexibility. And hey, that's great. I mean, again, I think that's wonderful. But I think for a lot of the folks, and they've certainly expressed this, that didn't grow up with this level of flexibility or this type of compensation, if you will, it was very life-changing. And you touched on something a moment ago that that I, I think we should expand upon that I think was critical to all of this compensation, if you will. And that was permission. Yeah, <laughs> this concept that if we don't give ourselves permission first, uh, and that's yep. within leadership, et cetera, because it sets the tone for everyone else. Uh, if I say, hey, everyone take uh, work from home Wednesday, but I say, but I'm going to be in the office, kind of sends the wrong <laughs> message. Sure does. Sure does. Right? And so I think the hardest part for us, and I'd be curious your thoughts here, was trying to give ourselves permission to unlock that kind of quality of life in by way of that that time compensation out to others. What do you think? 100%. I mean, there definitely was a, a transition period there as we went to that work from home Wednesday. And it was driven by a lot of things. You know, you still want to be, you know, visible, you still want to be productive. And I think in the beginning, I certainly was kind of overdoing it and trying to make sure that, you know, I was, was getting as much as I could out of that, that Wednesday. Part of it was that I also wanted the experiment to work. Right. And so I think I may have gone over the top in terms of trying to prove to myself that this was, in fact, a good idea and that it would work well, um, that we would benefit from it. But, yeah, there was a period in which and I, I would say it was it was every bit of two months before I really settled into feeling comfortable with it. And that comfort came from a couple of places. One it was just the permission around like saying like, you know, you can feel better about this. It's okay. Take it easy. It is okay to walk away from your desk for a few minutes to go out in the yard with the kids or to, to watch them jump in the pool or whatever. The other piece of it certainly was watching everybody else go through the adjustment and seeing the increased happiness and seeing that productivity hadn't fallen through the floor and essentially seeing everything else stay as it should be, or in some cases improve, that gave me the confidence, I think, to, to finally grant myself full permission to just say, yeah, this is good. This is working. And I think if we were to, to again, zoom out a little bit and looking at the full picture of quality of life in as employers and, and as employees, how to kind of assess that and then, then put it into practice within our businesses, I think there's, there's a lot to this puzzle. I think that there's uh, one part of it is giving back time, right? And that's super important. Yep. I think the other part is everybody like we're talking about getting permission to be able to say, hey, quality of life is actually important to me. Here's something that I want to do, or in some cases, something that I need to do in order to kind of enjoy that quality of life, to have that flexibility. But the thing is, I don't think employee quality of life is a central part of our discussion amongst founders. You know, if we were to say, again, I'm at a cocktail party, I meet a founder and I said, how's quality of life at your company? She's going to invariably start you know, rattling off all of their benefits at the company. Yeah, because the, the reality is that most of them 
don't actually know, right? Because it's, if, if you're not focusing on it, at best you can get some kind of anecdotal feedback around, well, you know, somebody the other day said this to me or somebody said that, and it almost always ends at an anecdote, right? This is something that we've committed to in a very different way and that we've studied, actually studied to see, you know, what are the improvements? How are people feeling about this? Is this something that we want to continue and expand? And just for a little bit of history, because this may not be apparent to everybody listening, we went from work from home Wednesdays to work from home Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Right. So we're now only in the office two days a week. It was so successful that we expanded it where we're actually working from home more often than we are working from an office. Well, um, actually, there's kind of a second order effect. When we did <laughs> yeah. that, when we moved to that, we ended up uh, realizing that we could just soon hire remote workers as in-office workers. Big and time. now 85% of our staff doesn't ever go to an office. So yep. I think something else happened. This is about two years ago that I thought was really interesting. I heard a couple of people that said, hey, I'm interested in uh, looking at other jobs. And by the way, that's a conversation I'm proud to say that we have fairly openly within our teams. Uh, we've had folks come to us and say, look, I'm not leaving yet, but I'm going to go start looking for something else because I'm looking for a role we don't have here. Right. Yep. And I, I really appreciate the level of trust that's been created that people can even have that conversation. Because when I was coming up with my career, I would have never thought to have that conversation. But regardless, when we had that conversation, I consistently heard not just directly, but even indirectly the same complaint, which was, I don't know how I'm going to be able to recreate my situation here somewhere else. And to me, that was maybe the highest compliment that we were doing our jobs, right? If, if our quality of life was so good here that the concern was you couldn't get it elsewhere, then to me, that was a massive win. And I don't think that was incidental. I think we were really hard to get to that point. We did. We did. I still would have liked to have seen us test that notion a little bit harder by saying that, okay, that's awesome. Um, but we're also going to cut your salary by 20% now. <laughs> uh, just that's to see. I want to quantify this for yeah, you. So yeah, are you yeah. saying that you would, you'd love to stay here so much that you'll take it? Yeah, no, we would never do that. So but play this out a little bit further. Again, we're talking about lots of points, consideration around quality of life. I think the first thing we need to do as founders, as, as administrators, if you will, is just to ask people, what's important to you right now, right? Like what would make your, your life 2x better? By the way, that isn't cash compensation because I, I think yep. that's just such a, a cop-out kind of answer. And of course, more cash will help everyone. So, But that's not entirely what we're talking about. In some cases, you may find that quality of life has to do with reporting structures. It could have to do with what hours people work, not even the number of yep. hours, but, but when they work. You can often find that this concept of, I'd like permission to be able to go do something else, like work on side projects, work on passion projects, take a percentage of my time and work towards something charitable. If we really sit down with our teams at an individual level, I don't think you can do this kind of across the board and say, what would your dream job look like? Right? What would be like the quality of life that would be through the roof? Here's the interesting thing. I'll qualify a little bit, say but the right people. I don't think for the right people, they're asking to work less. I genuinely haven't seen that to be the case. So this isn't a matter of, oh, I just want to work half the hours and get paid twice as much. Like that's actually not it. The right people, and by the right people, I mean people that understand the balance between compensation and output, look at it and just say, I just need a little bit more control over the configuration of my time and my output. 
Yeah. Right. And I think it, it's a function of how well, you know, your career fits with your other pursuits, right? And, you know, that can be a lot of different things. It's your life, your social life, your hobbies, your family, everything else. I think that the quality of life really starts to improve when the pieces of those two very different puzzles actually start to fit together nicely. To your point, right? It may not be the total number of hours worked. Maybe it's, maybe it's when it happens, right? Yes. And it was one of the suggestions that we, that we looked at. Um, again, I don't want to talk about this a ton, but we're in the middle of the, uh, the, the COVID lockdown right now in 2020 as we're recording this. And as we first entered into this, we started talking about what are the, you know, some of the things we can do to help the staff out even a little bit more. Of course, they're all working from home right from the beginning. But one of the things that was suggested was that we be flexible around, even more flexible around when people were working right. so that they could split shifts with a, with a spouse, for example, so that one of them could be watching the kids and one of them could be working and then vice versa. So yeah, I think that that's, that's extremely valid, right? And, I, and I'll agree 100% that it's, most people don't necessarily want to work less they tend to want to accomplish more and they want to try to earn more. Um, but there has to be a point at which, you know, you can't keep trading just purely time for that in either direction. Right. And you can say, well, if I'm only going to be compensated this much, then I only want to work 25% as much as you, you want me to. That also doesn't work, but I don't get the sense that that's what most people are after. Right. They just want to be able to strike a balance to where the transition between one and the next is easier or the outright blend between one and the next is easier, you know, where you don't have to make this hard switch between life and work, where the two work together in, in a way that's, that's more conducive to a quality of life. I agree with you. And I, and I think there was another thing that got really interesting that happened very organically, but I think was life-changing for probably me more than anybody else in the organization. And that's when we stopped working nights and weekends. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and I, I want to caveat this one as well. For some industries, some businesses, and some stages, it's not an option, right? So this isn't like a how dare people work nights and weekends. Look, man, there, there was a time where, well, for 20 years where all I did was work night and weekends. So this isn't me like uh, casting stones. But let me just explain kind of what happened. Early on, probably a few years into the business, we were still working what I would consider to be you know, pretty crazy hours. And I still wasn't at the point yet where I realized you're allowed to go home when it's still daylight. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but I remember, and we talked about this before, where my daughter had just been born and Sarah, my wife, texts me and she's like, hey, you know, we're going to be eating dinner at whatever time. And it occurs to me for the first time in my life that <laughs> I actually have time. to be home. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And, and so... For the first time in my life, I had to actually leave work at six o'clock. Uh, you know, our business hours were nine to six. And with that, everyone else left at six o'clock. And then it became a thing where by 6.01, the office was dead empty. Yep. Right. And then it became a thing where working on the weekends was considered heretical. And I'm not saying people don't pop in or, you know, do some things or whatever, but I'm just saying it, there was certainly no expectation around it. Yeah. I, at this point, it's discretionary effort. Correct. If you want to, or you know, something is kind of top of mind, cool. But there's zero expectation around it. And I think what happened was it gave all of us, and I'll use myself, permission to turn it off. Yeah. Right. To say, hey, man, at six o'clock, whether I'm remote or in the office, or whatever, I can turn it off, and everyone else is turning it off too. So I don't have to feel like the asshole who's you know not working while everyone else is working. Yep. And again, this goes back to quality of life. I think my quality of life jumped geometrically. 
for the first time in my life, I went home, turned off my phone, so to speak, turned off my computer. My wife's going to tell you a very different story. She's like, I don't know what he's talking about. He never turns the stuff off. But whatever. <laughs> comparatively. comparatively, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Very turned off. And wow, just had great conversations with my family, right? Went and did something that I cared about without having to be constantly like pulled back into, you know, whatever maelstrom we were in the middle of at yeah. work. And it was the first time in my life and probably, you know, if I kind of time box it 20 years where I felt okay to leave work for even a moment. My yeah. life had been so all encompassing for so long and it never even occurred to me it could be different. My quality of life went up geometrically. Yeah. And I think that it's, there's a strong correlation between time and quality of life and how you get to spend that time and even just interruptions. Right. And so, you know, I was thinking back to something I, I did a couple months ago now, and that was to turn off all but a few of the very, very most critical alerts on my phone. And this has had an impact throughout my workday. This has had a huge impact throughout nights and weekends, big time. That's actually what made me think of it. I don't get pulled back into things. And it's not just work-related, right? It's some random conversation high school friends are having via group WhatsApp message that I absolutely don't need to be part of, but it distracts me from doing something else I should have or would have been better off doing. And those distractions and, and kind of giving myself permission to say, like, I don't need to see all this stuff. When I jump back into those applications, all that stuff will still be there. The messages will still be there. I can still read it later when, I, when I've got some time for it. But what I realized was that I had lost control of how I chose to spend my time. I was constantly responding to these, you know, message alerts and pings and dings and rings and, and whatnot. And it had a massive impact on, on my quality of life. I didn't realize it. It didn't feel like it was negatively impacting me. But when I turned it all off, and I mean, I, I wholesale turned off alerts and I keep it in do not disturb mode most of the time. Same thing with my laptop now. And it's a huge, huge difference because I'm back to getting to choose how to spend my time. I'm not constantly getting other offers, right? Which is essentially what my phone and my computer become to me. It was a bunch of advertisements about how else I could spend my time, right? And some of those right. were from friends and from coworkers, whatever, but like, I didn't really need help with that. I had no shortage of ways to spend my time. I was just allowing myself to be so distracted from how I wanted to spend my time that I was fractionalizing my, my attention all over the place. And it was hugely, hugely impactful by just simply turning those things off. That's the other thing that's so funny about quality of life is sometimes it's just these simple, tiny, little changes can have such a huge impact. And that was a big one for me. And why do you think it took you so long to get to that point? Because again, I, I don't think we all, you know, kind of figure that out, if you will, yeah. as quickly as we should. We don't. And so it goes back to part of its permission. A big part of it was permission. And that was just to say that I don't have to respond at a moment's notice to every single Slack message, for example. Slack was actually one of the biggest contributors to this. If I were to jokingly rewrite Slack's elevator pitch, it's, it's an all-day, endless meeting with no agenda with everyone in your company that you can never leave, right? Of course, it has its place, right? But I think that, you know, viewed in the most negative possible light, that's what it became for me. And because we spend so much time out of the office and we're not visible. And in my case, even more so because I haven't been in the office for almost four years now. Uh, I've been fully remote. So for me, that visibility, that, that appearance of being responsive to make sure that everybody knows I'm working. I know I'm working all the time. I know what I'm doing. I know that I'm doing what I need to be doing. 
but it became important for me, for everyone else to know that too. I don't know that anybody else is actually worried about that. I would assume not, but I was worried that they were worried about it um, instead of just asking them, which would probably have been a, a much easier thing to do. But so instead of, you know, getting higher quality of life and getting more done at work, I was worried about appearing responsive. And so a big part of that was just to say like, look, I don't need to be that responsive. There are very few things that come through that are pants on fire. You know, we've got to, we got to address this right now. And so simply just turn some of that off and said, specify a couple periods throughout the day. And, and that'll, that'll make for a big change. But it was really just coming down to me making the decision that like, I should have control over that time. I should be able to decide when and where I'm going to respond to these things and not be at the back and call. Of course, when there's emergencies, when there's things that are critical, you know, we, we have to respond. But there's just so few of those type of emergencies. And think about it, though. Think about how just the very specter of the organization, you know, creating this, this shackle on you, so to speak, yeah. reduced your quality of life. But again, this goes to the folks at the top creating the permission and kind of the baseline for everyone else to say, look, man, here's the stuff that's really important to us that we really need to make sure that everybody's focused on and, and we care about as an organization. And here's the stuff, man, you do you, right? You figure out, yep. you know, the best way to get there. And I think, again, in the category of things that don't cost money per se, but have a tremendous impact on the quality of life, which is such a critical part of this compensation discussion, it's giving people that permission and independence to operate in a way that they want to operate. You know, for example, yeah. some of our developers in the past have preferred to work at night. That's just kind of when they do their thing. Yeah. And for well, the longest it's distraction time, free time, right? The, yeah, the impact yeah, of distraction look, on and, and on some types of work, it's even more critical. You lose your train of thought in in the middle of a of a you know, ten or fifteen thousand line code deployment. It could take you some serious time to get back on that horse and get back to work, right? And that's that's a huge demotivational factor when you're like, Well, I was oh man, where was I? Where was I? So yeah, we have seen that, right? We, you know, developers, obviously there's some roles that that's, you know, less conducive to our customer service team can't tell us they only want to work at night. Um, sure. <laughs> but, you know, being flexible is a big part of that. I haven't really seen anybody, and I'm sure you haven't either, be in, entirely unreasonable about it. If anything, I think part of the conversation is to say, look, I don't know that we can make every possible accommodation for you, but let's talk about it. You know, yeah. what would be your ideal wish list for what your perfect company, your perfect day looks like yeah. in what's out of bounds. Now, I think for a lot of employers, that's a terrifying proposition because it breaks a lot of conventions that we've grown accustomed to. One of those is uniformity. If yeah. I let this person work at night, then I have to let everyone work at night. And that could be an issue, right? If I say that this person is only going to be available during these hours, well, then everybody else is only going to want to be available during those hours, right? Like, so again, I'm not suggesting for a moment that there's a one size fits all policy because there's just not. Right. What I think has worked for us is we've created a flexible enough overall structure so that each person can figure out how to make the structure work for them. But largely, I think the things that, that have, have changed for us at its core, I think as an organization, We've recognized how powerful quality of life as a form of compensation is. And I would say we pay pretty well. And I think our folks you know, have, have said as much. When they leave, it's typically not just 
for more money, although you know, p- people do tend to get more money when they go to another job. What we focused more is on quality of life. I think our retention has been astronomical, you know, compared to where it was in the past. Let, uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that because we have a really interesting stat there. Hey, well, um, out of 200 plus people, how many people did we have resign in 2019? About zero. Zero. Now, we have some roles that actually are like contractor roles and stuff like that. So we've had some contractor yeah, 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 turnover, yeah. but that's kind of to be expected. We'll always have that because we don't really control quality of life there. But yeah, it, it was amazing. And so I gave this really heartfelt speech about it, if you remember, at the end <laughs> yes. of last year. And I was like, I can't believe we went an entire year and nobody's left. And, you know, that means so much to me and blah, blah, blah. And then like a week later, three people quit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're reviewing all of your future team meeting yeah. speeches. Um, yeah. It's with, like, man, the worst time. To, uh, but, but but again, you know, we've talked about this before too. They were all good moves. I mean, they were all they yep. were three people that moved for great reasons. So, so we were hundred percent behind all of it, but regardless, our goal isn't to try to make attrition be zero. People should go on to do other jobs. Our goal is to make it so that when people are at our company, it sends a, a high watermark for what quality of life should be. So yes. that when they go to another company, if the quality of life sucks, regardless of what that pay raise was, they look back and go, damn, you know, I kind of miss what I had there. If they look back and they say, that place sucked, and again, there could be a lot of reasons for that, then I feel like, you know, we haven't done our job. Yeah, 100%, right? Yeah, so so basically we want people to go on and then resent the decision. <laughs> I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But but look, man, what I don't want to be is in an arms race with other startups for compensation and perks, right? Because I think you always lose, you know, especially if you're in highly competitive markets, like if you're in the Bay Area or anything else like that, you can't win that game. There will always be another company that's going to rock, paper, scissors you out of the compensation and perks game. And at the end of the day, compensation and perks are worth nothing if everybody's miserable the entire time. Because what ends up happening, and again, this is, you know, Uber is a good example of this. Everyone gets super excited about the comp, but they're miserable day after day after day, and it starts to destroy morale. It starts to destroy, like, the fabric of the company. It destroys culture. And that, you can't buy your way out of that. You can't bonus your way out of that. At some point, either two things have to happen. Either the company has to go public or, you know, whatever the wealth event is going to be for everybody to be able to justify it. Or you're going to have some mass exodus where people are like, you know what, like ain't worth it. And the truth is, it's not worth it. It's not. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.